Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. And we're going to be in uh, Philippians uh, chapter number uh, 2 here this morning. And if you're just joining with us, uh, we've been... uh, taking a journey here through the book of Philippians and kind of catch you up to speed a little bit. Uh, Paul here writes to this uh, church at Philippi, thanking them for a financial gift that they have uh, given him. And uh, Paul here, he is under house arrest and he's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He does have, uh, he's allowed to have people uh, come and visit him. And one of the people that comes and visits him is a man by the name of Paphroditus, who gives him this financial gift from this church at Philippi. And it encourages uh, Paul so much uh, that he writes to them, thanking them for this gift. And that's what this whole book here is, uh, has a lot to do with about the joy that he has uh, for this church at Philippi. Uh, there's been about a period, about 10 years since uh, Paul first planted this church at Philippi to now where he is now in prison. And uh, he's saying, look, you guys have been with me since the beginning. You're continuing to be with me. And uh, I want you to know a few things, the things that have happened to me, that I've been in prison, that I've had all these uh, sufferings, beatings, and uh, you know shipwrecks and all these things. He says, these things have really served to the advancement of the gospel. He says, Christ is being preached, the gospel is being proclaimed, and he says, that's a good thing. And so he has great joy in the midst of all of his circumstances and difficulties. And we jump here now to uh, Philippians chapter number two, and uh, Paul is going to start talking about uh, completing his joy. And really, in a sense, the whole book of Philippians, there's a sense of maturity uh, that is uh, being displayed about what a what a mature Christian really is, and how we actually mature in our uh, Christian faith. And if I were to ask you, what would you say that where where would your spiritual maturity be as a believer in Christ? I mean, ten being like Jesus, and one being you know not like Jesus at all. Where would you say your spiritual maturity is? Where, where would you say that, that that would fall? You know, where, where would you rate yourself as a believer in Christ? You know, one thing that we can't overlook in this letter to these Philippian believers is uh, the level of spiritual maturity that Paul wants them to have. And I mean, it's evident throughout the whole book, uh, especially when we looked in uh, Philippians chapter number one there is where he says, for me to live is Christ right? To die is gain. That's a level of of spiritual maturity that all of us should be uh, really striving for, that for me to live is Christ, that Christ is my life, that everything I do centers around the gospel. It centers around who Jesus is. Uh, And then, of course, to die is gain. Uh, So, you know, there's a level of spiritual maturity that all of us should be seeking in our lives. As what Paul said, till Christ be formed in you. See, that's, that's the struggle that we have as we live here on this earth, till Christ be formed in us. Uh, there should be a, a, a thing of sanctification process going on in our lives where we're denouncing sin and we're choosing to rather live for Christ. 
uh, repenting of sin and choosing uh, what uh, Scripture teaches us to do. And so Paul here is going to give them a prime example of what it means to live joyfully for Christ and this maturity that needs to be coming out uh, in our lives as believers. How many of you remember when you were growing up, um, could have been in that awkward stage coming, transitioning from elementary school to middle school, right? Awkward, very, what they would say is being immature, right? Uh, doing things, acting certain ways. Sometimes we look at people, what they're doing, you're saying, you're so immature. But uh, in reality, is that not true of our own lives as Christians as well? We act very, very immature as believers. And a lot of that comes out in the way that we treat others, how we interact with other people. Uh, so this is an area that Paul is going to really deal with here in uh, chapter number two of the relationships that we have with one another. And if you can recall, remember, he's asking that there be unity within the body of Christ, being of the same mind, uh, striving together for the gospel, working hand in hand together for the gospel. And so let me ask you this question. How are the relationships in your life with other believers that you know? How are they? Are they mature relationships or are they immature relationships? Do you act very immature uh, in those relationships? So today, this is what I'd like for you to take away with you. Mature in your relationships within the body of Christ. Mature in the relationships within the body of Christ. Let's take a note here of our text. So first of all, maturity begins with Christ. Look at verse number one. So... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, have you ever had a difficult time with another brother or sister in Christ? Or maybe there was some disagreement, there was some mistreatment, there was some offense. Have you ever had that happen to you in your life? I would have to say that all of us have had that happen. Should that be the norm? How have you dealt with it? Were you a mature believer or were you an immature believer? Did you avoid them? Did you talk behind their back? Did you leave that fellowship in search of a new one to start over? You see, this all reveals how we deal with the relationships in our lives, whether we're going to be mature about it or immature. And Paul says here that this maturity that we need to have in Christ, this unity needs to begin with Christ. Within the Philippian church, you had quite a diverse group of people. I mean, think about this. You had the, uh, the Lydia who was the seller of, of fine purple. She was probably a very wealthy businesswoman. That's probably where they were meeting was in her house. There was probably slaves that uh, were part of that household. There were other probably family members. Then you also have the Philippian jailer who was more likely a Roman. Uh, him and his house was part of that church. Then you had the demon-possessed girl that became, uh, came to faith in Christ. I mean, she's got a real messed up past. She gets part of this church. Sprinkle in there also some other people, slaves, some other Jews. And you got quite a distinct mixed group of people. And so do you think they always got along? 
No, they didn't. In fact, uh, later on, you find in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse number 2, Paul actually says, I entreat Udiah and I entreat Synthache to agree in the Lord. These were two women that just did not get along. And Paul says, look, if we're going to have maturity in the body of Christ, it needs to begin with Christ. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 reminds us this. Where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Is it not from this, from your, your passions that battle inside you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly so you can spend it on your passions. You see, the problem with every relationship in our lives that we have with other believers is not the other person. You know what the problem is? It's me. It's you. That's the problem. Because it's our passions inside us. We want things and we can't have them. So what do we do? We fight and we quarrel. We bicker and we argue. And see, that is very immature for a believer to be acting that way. Believers should not be acting that way. We should be acting with maturity. So where do we find the ability to have the spiritual maturity that we need to navigate these difficult relationships in our lives? Paul teaches us here in this passage, notice, first of all, that this maturity begins with Christ. Look at the verse again. So if there is any encouragement in where? In Christ. That's where it begins. It begins in Christ. Now remember, within the context here, Paul is talking about having unity for the gospel, being joined together for the gospel, working together for the gospel. Again, he, remember that uh, illustration that he used about uh, athletic teams working together? Can you imagine if, uh, if a team decides they're not going to work together, if one person wants to be the showboat? If one person wants to do all the things and he doesn't want to work well with his teammates, what happens? It doesn't work together. So he says here, the whole purpose of this is that they are working together. So in other words, my maturity in my relationships must begin with Christ Notice what again he says here in verse number one. He points them to Christ for the example that we should be following. And he gives us four things here. So let's break this down. Look at this. First of all, look for encouragement in Christ. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, this word encouragement here is the word meaning one called alongside to help. In fact, Jesus used it in John chapter 14 when he said the comforter who will come it's another who's going to come alongside to help you. Now think about this. In the relationships that we have in life, especially within a church family, when we get disgruntled or we get irritated or we get upset because I didn't get my own way, somebody's not paying attention to me, somebody won't listen to what I have to say, okay? What happens? We get discouraged. Paul says... You need to find your encouragement where? In Christ. That's where we need to find it. Sometimes when we are seeking to restore the relationship, the other person may not be responsive. 
And it's in these times that we can rely on Christ for the strength that we need to help us in times of discouragement. Look at the second thing here. Look for comfort of love in Christ. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love. Comfort is used when someone is in grief. Sometimes when we are having problems in our relationships, we can sometimes feel grief or loss of comfort. And Paul says, you need to find your spiritual maturity, your comfort of love from Christ. That's where you need to get it from. You see, when you lean upon Jesus, he gives you comfort through his love. Since he loved me when I was rebellious and not deserving, I then can now extend that same love to others who that I think may not deserve it. And isn't that what happens in our relationships? When somebody does something to us, they offend us, we get upset, and we think, I'm never, I'm never gonna forgive them. Never. Well, let's just think back here just for a moment. How about all the things that you did to God? How about all the sin that you've committed in life? Think about all that sin that was placed upon Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He forgave you. See, this teaches us something about who we are in Christ. This teaches us of having maturity in Christ, how we need to interact with others. Look at the third thing here. Look for participation of the Spirit. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. This word participation is the same as fellowship. When a person believes in Christ, God's word teaches us that they are baptized into the body of Christ. We're all part of the body of Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you've repented of sin and you've believed in Christ, the Bible teaches us that we are to have now this fellowship. We have been baptized into one body. And the result of this is now we have fellowship with God and with other believers you know, sometimes in our relationship, the fellowship can become hindered because of our sin. Because of something that we want. Just, just exactly what James said. Where does the fightings and the quarrels come from? Because of the evil passions that are within you. And sometimes because of that, it hinders the fellowship that we have with other believers. And Paul says we need to be finding our maturity from where? because of participation in the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God is the oil that lubricates everything. You know, we got this door over here. Listen to this. Do you hear that? Is it creaking? No. You know why? Because somebody's been oiling it. You see, anytime you have people together it creates friction. And when there is friction, it causes problems. But see, that's why we have to be spirit-filled believers. That's why we have to be mature believers because it is the oil that lubricates everything together and makes it work in harmony because we are all part of the body of Christ. Look what else he says here. Number four, look for affection and sympathy in Christ. The word affection and compassion or sympathy here 
Both point to the emotional element in God's love. You see, Jesus looked on the multitude and felt compassion for them because they were sheep being scattered without a shepherd. They were distressed and downcast. Thank God he didn't look at us and say, stupid sheep, forget you. What did he do? He extended his love and his grace and his mercy towards us. And is that not what happens in our relationships in life as well? Even within the body of Christ, sometimes we are having difficulties with somebody and we go, that person, ah, what an, ah, right? Is that how we are supposed to act? No, we're supposed to act the same way that Christ acted, extending grace and love and mercy towards other people. So how do you handle the problems in your relationships? How about working with difficult people in your life? You see, this is a great pattern for husbands and wives as well. When there's a husband and wife and they're living in the same household there and they're seeing each other, I, I, always, I always tell um, people that I'm doing premarital counseling even right now, and there's this couple, I've known them, uh, let's see, probably since he was in second grade and now they're gonna get married. And this boy and this girl, they've known each other since second grade. I mean, they were childhood sweethearts or whatever, and they're gonna get married. And uh, we were working through some stuff about uh, premarital counseling, about uh, resolving conflicts and how to handle um, different types of stuff. And we were going through some of these things. And I said, you know, one of the things you're gonna come to realize is that the person you're marrying is a huge sinner, huge, probably a bigger sinner than you are. And isn't it interesting how we are able to find out those things that really uh, make us upset about other people? Jesus talked about that. He talked about going around finding those little splinters in people's eyes, but you got this giant telephone pole that is in your eye, you know? Whoa, whoa, what are you talking about, right? You see, how are those relationships in your life? That's what's important is to really mature, and it all begins with Christ. You know, everything that, that Christ has went through, we can look at that and we can say, yes, here I am, I'm going through a lot of the same types of things. And that's where we find our encouragement. That's where we find our comfort. That's where we find the encouragement is in Christ. That's where spiritual maturity begins. Let's look at the second thing here. Maturity seeks unity. Look what he says here, verse number two. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What do you think of when you think of the word unity? You know, unity was uh, pretty important to Paul. In fact, this verse here should be pretty familiar as it is in the same phrases were used in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with a one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Unity was very important to Paul. You see, Paul is saying here, I want you to be thinking the same way. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Think the same way. 
fact, notice how Paul repeats it again here at the end of the verse, in a full accord and of one mind. Think the same way. Now remember where Paul was. He was under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. And I love this, verse two, complete my joy. This is what would complete Paul's joy. This is what would, would just really, really make him joyful. Complete it. The word complete has the idea of cramming full. You think about it, just packing it in. Paul says, I want you to cram full my joy. Make it overflowing by being of the same mind, having unity. And that's where maturity really, Christian maturity should lead us is, is to unity. This is what would complete his joy. So as a believer in Christ, do you seek unity in your relationships with others? Are you always looking for the reasons why you are different? Are you looking for the reasons why they don't think like you? You see, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be seeking unity towards other believers. If there's one thing that has been going on uh, recently, and it's been happening for years, is how we have been seeing how people have been dividing themselves. You're on this side, I'm on that side. As Christians, that should not be. As Christians, we should be seeking maturity in our unity, in our relationships. You see, this is what Paul desired for these believers, and this is a mark of spiritual maturity. This is something that we all must work towards. Notice these four things that Paul brings about unity here in verse number two. Number one, being of the same mind, literally that you think the same thing. Now, what exactly are we supposed to be having the same mind about? What you want, what I want? No, that's not what, what we're supposed to be having in unity. Just what he said in verse number one. We're supposed to have the same mind about who Christ is, what Christ is doing. We're supposed to have the same unity of the same mind of the gospel. That's where we find our unity. That's where we find our common ground is in those things. So in the midst of conflicts, we can reach a mutual reconciliation because we have the same minds. Secondly, look at this, having the same love. What kind of love is he talking about? Again, he's talking about the love of Christ that we have that same mutual love in our relationships, the love of Christ. You see, Christ's love is revealed to us throughout Scripture. When we look at the gospel, when we look and think about what Christ has done for us, how we as ungodly, unholy, wretched, depraved individuals have sinned against God, and yet Christ took upon himself that sin debt and was crucified for us. He took upon the punishment that we so righteously deserved and we were forgiven in Christ. That's the love that should be motivating in our relationships. Later on in this passage, Paul will show us how Christ's love was displayed as he talks about in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8, how Christ emptied himself, he became a servant, became obedient even into the death of the cross. So if we're going to have maturity in our relationships, we must seek out unity by having the same love. Look at thirdly, being in full accord, literally what he says here, of one soul. 
being in full accord of one soul, he says. True, true unity is a matter of the heart, is it not? We must deliberately set my mind on being one with those who truly know Christ, even if I particularly don't like them or agree with them on everything. See, that's what brings about unity within the body of Christ. I don't have to like everything you like. You don't have to like everything that I like. You don't have to think the same way that I think. I don't have to think the same way you think. But you see, we should have unity. Why? Because we are of one accord. There's unity in Christ. Look at this fourth thing here, of one mind, literally being minded on the one thing. What are we to be of one mind on? Again, verse 27 in chapter one, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is what we're supposed to be singly minded upon is the gospel, how we live the gospel, how we're living for Christ. How will the world know that we are disciples and followers of Christ? Jesus told us in John eleven thirty five, if you have love towards one another, that's how the world will know. So do we take the gospel serious in our lives? If so, then we will seek unity in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the last thing. Maturity seeks humility to serve others. Look at verses three and four. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Notice here again in verse number three that if we are going to have spiritual maturity in our relationships, then we need to be seeking humility. Now, isn't that interesting that humility is really not the very first thing that we think of when we're having problems and difficulties in our relationships? I mean, I'll tell you, when me and my wife start getting at it and we're arguing about how the garage door comes down and you left the garage door open, and no, I didn't. Yes, you did. And yes, I no, I didn't. Humility is really not at the top of my list to be thinking, yeah, you know what? And it's not for you either. In fact, that's why Paul has to tell us that we need to be seeking out humility, because we don't naturally do it, because we're sinful creatures of habit. And it's in our own pride that we stand and not be seeking out humility. This is a real problem, not only in the church, but I believe also in our marriages and families as well. Notice what Paul says here, that Christians must do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So let's define our terms here. What is selfish ambition? What is selfish ambition? Selfish ambition can be understood as motivation to elevate oneself or to put one's own interest above another's. It is a self above others approach. In fact, James says in James chapter three, verses 14 through 16, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly unspiritual and demonic. 
Selfish ambition is demonic. It's demonic activity. To be promoting yourself above others. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, he goes on to say, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That's what selfish ambition brings. What about conceit? Well, conceit is excessive pride or self-esteem that has no foundation in reality. Conceit is an elevated and incorrect sense of self. It's thinking of yourself more highly or more significant than you really are. This is really a problem in the church today, I believe, that we have people, myself included, that we really think of ourselves as being something more than really what we are. You know what we are? Look to the person that's sitting next to you. You know what you see? A bag of dirt. We might be a bag of dirt with nice clothes on, hair that's been fixed up, makeup, whatever, but you know what we are? We are sinners. And it's only by the grace of God that we are what we are. We are nothing more than that. So we should not be thinking of ourselves more highly than what we really are. It's conceited. It's all this self-esteem stuff. And I believe all this self-esteem teaching that has really flooded the church is really not from Scripture. It's from the devil. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Remember, uh, remember there when Eve was in the garden? And that serpent came to Eve and said, Hey, hey, <laughs> look at this. Why don't you try it? Oh, we can't do that. Can't do that. Oh, sure you can. In fact... You know, if you try it, you're going to really know some things. You are, oh man, it's going to be great. You're going to know things that you've never known. In fact, that's what you should be doing. All this elevation, all this elevation of self-esteem stuff. And you know what the result of that was. You see, self-esteem or conceit feeds our pride. Therefore, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit means not letting our actions be motivated by selfishness or pride. So how do we practically live this out? I mean, how, how are we supposed to grow in maturity in our relationships with others, be spiritually mature? Well, it's living out the exact opposite of selfish ambition and conceit. Look what he says here, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. See the difference there? Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, here's the opposite, but also to the interest of others. Here's a few scriptures on this. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Galatians 5, 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Galatians 5, 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. 
Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see, if we are desiring to mature spiritually in our relationships with others, we are going to have to understand what Christ has done for us. You see, when we fail to recognize the awful depravity of our own hearts apart from God's grace, we're not growing. If we're not growing to see more and more of our own sinfulness, we're not growing. See, that's what it's about. It's not this whole elevate yourself, look how wonderful I am. It's look how horrible of a sinner I really am in the eyes of God. And God has changed me. God has granted me grace. This is how we grow in spiritual maturity. And this will help us to seek unity with others. This will help us to be uh, of one mind. This will help us to serve one another. All of this will bring about unity within the body of Christ. And see, all of this just takes us back to verse number one again. What has Christ done in our salvation? If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he says, all of that is found in Christ. So when we truly see how much Christ has done for us and understand the fullness of his love, pride and selfishness melt away. It's not there. And this is the way of living that we should be striving for. This is the type of living that is worthy of the gospel, is what he says uh, verse 27. This is the type of living that brings about joyful maturity in our relationships with others. So where are you in your spiritual maturity in relationships with others? Are you growing to be more, more like Christ? Or are you still in this rut of selfishness, pride, wanting things your own way? You see, that's the difference. Either we're growing spiritually or we're stagnant. And we need to be growing spiritually. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.